After episode 71, someone suggested to me that Sarah and I didn't cover the actual definition of operational resilience. Well, this is part two, and today, the conversation continues. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 72 as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I continue my conversation about operational resilience with Sarah Garrington. Sarah and I talk about the need to align to key business risks, overcoming optimism bias, and we talk about intolerable harm and where we should be focusing our attention regarding resilience. And I ask Sarah how to leverage BIA data when doing our operational resilience planning. The Resilient Journey is now ad-free, so be sure to give some love to the Resilience Think Tank for sponsoring this podcast. Sarah, welcome back to part two uh, of our conversation about operational resilience, and uh, I'm happy to have you back. Um, Someone made a comment to me after part one, and they said that we didn't really address what operational resilience is. And I said, well, thank you for listening. That's exactly what we want to cover in part two. And so probably the best way to describe operational resilience is to talk about the top few things that an organization would need to do in order to implement operational resilience. Is that a fair approach? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'll start by saying that actually, and, you know, some people may do these things as part of their business continuity program, and that shouldn't um, that shouldn't necessarily put you off. But for me, um, operational resiliency is looking at all of your operations, and that might be, um, you know, something that's broader than the scope of a business continuity program to actually build that resiliency, both proactively and reactively. Um, so I think in order to do that, there's a number of things that you should consider when you're starting to launch your kind of resiliency program. Um, And the first one of those that I think I want to mention is alignment to your key business risks. So looking at what are the near misses, looking at the horizon scanning or things that, you know, a strategic risk or whatever it might be, looking at those things and actually saying, if that happens, if that, you know, risk materializes, what's the plan? How much will it impact us? Can we prevent it from happening in the first place? And and really digging into that alignment piece with your risk register and looking at at those kind of risks um, across the board to to really implement a proper kind of well-rounded resiliency program from the get-go. All right. Let's jump down into some of that just a little bit, maybe a layer or maybe two layers down. Sure. So are are we talking about things like... um, potential existential threats to the business? Like, are we talking about cyber, for example, or supply chain issues, climate change? Is that what you mean when you talk about the horizon scanning? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, geopolitical issues as well, geographical issues, climate change, like you say. Um, You could have strategic issues in the fact that actually you look at the, I don't know, business demographic in which you operate is actually shrinking. So your organization might need to like, shift the way that they do things potentially it's that um you know working hand in hand with a risk function to make sure that actually you know we can 
where possible, prevent those risks from materialising. And if we can't, that those um, the impacts can be minimised. So it can be any type of risk, to be honest, where there's a resilience impact. Um, and I think that actually you can find a resilience impact in most risks if you um, look at them kind of with a certain lens. And obviously, one of the key things with operational resilience is making sure that the customer doesn't experience that intolerable harm. So when you're looking at risk registers, it's again having that lens of that customer-focused intolerable harm lens to make sure that actually um, none of those risks, if they do materialise, will impact customers in, in that way that you deem to be intolerable. So you've mentioned one of the key phrases, the buzzwords around operational resilience, right? Intolerable harm. Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to park that for now. We'll come back to that. I also found it interesting that our foundation point here, this, the very starting point for things related to operational resilience so far, we're only one step in, but so far we haven't talked at all about business functions or criticality of business functions. We're looking outside in to start, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that something that you might have in your um you know business continuity plans that might be a really critical process to the business actually might not be something that your customer really cares about that much so um you know i think that having that that kind of lens again that is looking externally at if you had a business continuity professional and one of your customers meet at a dinner party would they agree that the same that the same things are critical um hopefully they should and hopefully they should also agree with the operational resilience person who's said these are the important things to the organization but that's not always the case because you know you will get slightly different lenses so obviously one of the aims of operational resilience and um, and just broader organizational enterprise resiliency should be put yourself in your customer shoes and do you think the things that you class as important are going to be the same things that they would list as important to them I really like that. All right. So we've started with identifying um, threats and, and risks and aligning our focus on key business risks. Uh, so let's say we've identified a handful of those things that could have a, an existential threat to our business or to our organization. What next? So I think next to me is overcoming positivity bias. So what I mean by that is looking at lessons learned, and they might not be from your organization, they might be from somebody else, they might be from a different market, a different jurisdiction, but actually going full circle and, you know, completing any kind of lessons learned exercise, which I'm sure most people will do post-crisis or post kind of continuity event, but then linking that back to make sure that if the same thing happens again, that those risks are, um, you know, have less of an impact to the organization or the, the whole event, you know, is prevented in some way. And I do think that there is some overlap there with kind of business continuity. But I think, um, again, the differences with resiliency is it's overcoming that, you know, oh, that, that would never happen conversation and actually going, no, it will happen. It has happened. You know, it's happened to Jane Doe over there. So we need to, to do something about it. So again, it's overcoming positivity bias. Um, and I think that really, that does require kind of a culture shift um, and it requires a lot of people across the organization having their mindset mindset change slightly um, particularly because I think some people will 
revert maybe more to that you know oh that would never happen a pandemic that would never happen you know and all these sorts of things so actually overcoming that and go you know let's just park likelihood doesn't matter and let's just talk about if it happens when it happens what do we do all right i'm going to challenge you on that one and then i'm going to jump down a a level or two to to ask a follow-up question on it parking likelihood bothers me a little bit um and it's the reason that it does is because the very first step that we talked about is aligning ourselves with uh the key business risk and one of the things that's the principle of risk management is this marriage between likelihood probability uh and impact right yeah now now you're suggesting maybe we drop off the likelihood uh piece of it and now maybe we've just lost our risk audience what do you think about that so i think that um I think that you will always have to look at likelihood when it comes to prioritization. So actually, you know, if you've got some big risks that actually are very likely to happen, absolutely start maybe looking at aligning with those ones first. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've got something that maybe is a, you know, once in a 10 year event and then something that's a once in a 10 hour event, you know, look at both. So that's what I mean by scrapping the likelihood element, address both but maybe, you know, consider that likelihood element when it comes to that prioritization piece and customer harm as well, coming back to that. So the one in 10 year event is, you know, going to cause a lot of perceived customer detriment, then maybe focus on that one prior to something that might not really cause customer harm and might happen more, more kind of frequently. So again, it is that kind of knitting impact to likelihood. But I think when I say, you know, ignore the likelihood factor, what I mean is address all risks with the same um, the same lens that they will happen. And what do you do? And you need to prepare for all of them rather than kind of cherry picking and going, that would never happen. So scrap that one. Um, you know, yeah, prioritization maybe is the best. So, so we, we use the likelihood factor to prioritize, but we're still going to um, address the potential impact and strategies around all of them, even even the lower priority ones. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is that some people might look at, you know, or have a, a risk register that's got thousands of risks on it. And we understand that that that's never mm-hmm. going to be something that you can address every single one of those, um, you know, situations and events. But this is what I mean by coming back to the lessons learned and, and horizon scanning. So actually, right. you know, just challenge people's mindsets. So when people are going, that would never happen. That's got, a, you know, a likelihood of once in a hundred years. So we we don't want to, we don't want to address that. If the impact is going to, you know, cause intolerable harm or have some sort of customer detriment, don't allow that to be a part of the conversation that, you know, oh, that would never happen. You know, that that's kind of something to be ignored in that conversation. It has to be a kind of like, it doesn't matter, we're focusing on it and we don't want that customer detriment so that's Mm -hmm. why why it should be a priority that's the criteria right it's we're we're not focusing on every risk in the risk register that's just silly we're not doing that we're focusing on those threats that if they did happen would cause intolerable harm yeah absolutely Yeah. yeah absolutely it's interesting you're right because we all deal with that optimism bias all right so we've identified ourselves as far as aligning with risk we've worked on trying to reduce the whole concept of optimism bias, what's next? 
So for me next is oversight and communication. So um, making sure that your boards, the, the you know, relevant senior managers have got that, um, you know, all the relevant information that they need when it comes to, you know, what's the state of our resiliency, um, but also kind of making sure that you're communicating with everyone and how, how the journey's going, you know. Um, one of the the challenges I think for anyone is resilience isn't something that you can necessarily measure. It's not a yes, no, you know, it's not something that you can go today. I'm a resilient score of 10 and tomorrow mm. I'll be a nine. Um, you know, it is something that actually you will need to maybe come up with metrics around that you'll need to come up with your own kind of way to measure. And I think that it's really, really important to make sure that that is something that's really part of the, the program. And I think that that goes um, beyond just, broader resiliency I think that that is you know the success of any program is if you can get to the end of it and go you know the answer to the question is are we resilient yes no you know how do you measure that and how do you show that success it's like a smart objective right it needs to be measurable to to show success so you need to come up with your own kind of metrics to measure um and I think by providing that oversight making sure that everyone that's got a role to play understands their role but then is also doing their role is really important um and it will help drive that like I say that company culture shift as well when you're able to have those transparent conversations with people for me it's really important to build those relationships with people and again I think this is alignment to a business continuity program but to build relationships where you can say to people you know what keeps you up at night but actually what do you think could be improved in your area? And let's let's work on that together because, um, you know, it should be a collaborative experience, I think. And I actually don't think that you can do it in silo. Um, I saw a graph actually on um, McKinsey & Co, their, their website not that long ago, that was talking about all the different areas that fed into a, a broader kind of resiliency programme. And that's just... Um, that's just it. I think you do need that collaboration, that oversight, and also those communications, those building blocks to make sure that everyone is coming together and actually helping you achieve that, that kind of goal and your objective overall. All right. So I feel like we're, we're working well to establish need and governance and things like that around resilience. But I feel like we haven't talked enough yet about how to actually make the organization resilient. Are we coming to, to that uh, point of the conversation here soon? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that to make an organization resilient, that that for me is the crux of it. How do you measure resiliency? Because, you know, if you ask me what's what resilience is or how I measure resilience, that'll be different to probably the way that you measure resiliency. And so having that standard conversation, that standard terminology and those definitions across your organization to say actually resilience to me means x and you know a resilient organization looks like y means that actually it is something that you can work towards i mean for me a resilient organization will be one that you know can rebound from any sort of change anticipated or unanticipated um you know and having that opportunity to I think I, I said last time about the the car suspension so if it's a bump in the road and you just kind of carry on going and for me that's that's you know the crux of it you know when it comes to resiliency um but again every organization will have a different 
definition. Um, you know, some organisations might decide that for them, resiliency is, you know, something completely different, sitting on a, you know, lovely desert island with a glass of fizz. <laughs> that might be resiliency for some people. So you do need to make sure that you're, um, you know, setting out from the outset, agreeing with your stakeholders and your senior managers, what what does good look like for you and what do you want this programme to deliver? All right, let, me, obviously, let me go ahead. Go oh, ahead. Go you finish your thoughts. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's fine. Um, I was going to say, obviously, this is um, all outside of in addition to regulatory compliance. You know, regulatory compliance is always at the heart of, of this. But for me, it's more than regulatory compliance. It's it's something that should be seen as kind of business imperative. So it shouldn't be something that's just regulated, you know, stick. It should be something that is, you know, broader than that. And it it drives that business value overall so yeah agreeing with your stakeholders what resilience looks like on top of regulatory compliance i think is really key so if you're in a regulated industry actually it gives you a little bit of a leg up because you can leverage that and then you can take that message back to your stakeholders and say hey listen this is the standard to which we must uh, achieve if you're not in a regulatory environment but it's your desire to have the best practices and to become operationally resilient. That's where you need to define again, as you said it, what, what good looks like for you. I, yes, was going to say that. I think that, yeah, you can, if you are in a regulatory um, or in a regulated environment or a regulated jurisdiction, then absolutely, you know, the foundation of your program should be what does the regulator need us to do and need us to evidence and, you know, how do we need to change the way that we do things to meet that regulatory, um, you know, rule or guidance. But um, yeah, I think that where you're not necessarily regulated or you don't have a need yet to comply with any sort of regulation, actually, it's a really good activity to almost cherry pick the bits of other regulations or other you know, rules or guidance papers or whatever they might be to say, actually, I think that would be really good in our organisation. So maybe that's something that we can bolt on. And it could even be bolt it onto your business continuity programme if it's something that you think is right for the organisation. Um, so, yeah, outside of regulatory compliance, I think there's lots of opportunity for organisations to look at the way that the regulators are starting to steer um, you know, the relevant sectors and look at those and kind of say, actually, yeah, that's that's a good idea. Maybe we should do that within our kind of um, organization as well. So I think I mentioned last week that in Canada, we're starting down the road. Uh, we're probably maybe two or three years behind where you are in the UK when it comes to operational resilience. And our banking regulator here is the office of the superintendent of financial institutions, and they define operational resilience as the ability of a financial institution to deliver its operations, including critical operations, through a disruption. And we talked about this last time, the difference between getting knocked down and recovering quickly, business continuity, and operational resilience, being able to deliver through a disruption. So here's the question that I want to tie all this together with. Are we focused on only making the critical functions operationally resilient, or is the focus on only those things that would cause intolerable harm? How do we distinguish what we give our attention to? 
I think that one of the um, I'm not going to say problem, but maybe one of the um, things that would help the this conversation, other conversations around resilience is the fact that, you know, we don't have that clear, consistent, um, you know, understanding guidance etc onto what is resilience um and that is something that i think would be helpful and probably one of the reasons why like I say we're still having these sorts of conversations between us within the industry um i mean one of the things that is really key in the uk is um you know that part around removing vulnerabilities or remediating and addressing vulnerabilities to your mm. um organization so actually and i think that point stands whether you're in um you know a different jurisdiction the uk whether you're somewhere that's regulated or not one of the things that you can really do to enhance your resilience capability is where you've got vin- vulnerabilities that you've identified remediate those and you know that could be something as simple as Joe Bloggs needs to be trained on a different system because, you know, he's the only person that can do this one particular thing for the organisation. That could be classed as a vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So understanding what those are and remediating and addressing those, I think, is really key. And I think that that stands whether it's a critical operation, whether it's talking about, you know, intolerable customer harm, um, you know, actually remove your vulnerabilities first and foremost and and then you can kind of start talking about what resiliency means to you if you don't have that clear regulatory guidance on on what it means and what you need to do i would also add though or argue that critical operations would also be those ones that are the most important to your customers or should at least have some alignment there um you know because at the end of the day a business with no customers isn't necessarily a business um so if you're not kind of keeping your customers happy and making sure that they aren't experiencing intolerable harm through your critical operations then um that might be some some alignment that you wish to kind of um leverage between the two regulations all right let's get real specific here for a minute then because um in the business continuity world we do a business impact analysis that helps us identify what those critical functions are I would assume we're not going to redo that in operational resilience. We would just leverage what was already done. If that's sufficient, yes. Okay, Um, why might it not be sufficient? Explain why you might need to dig deeper. So again, it's that customer lens. So, um, you know, looking at a business continuity, you know, your BIA and looking at what is critical or what's a really important kind of process from a BIA, you might have something like your tax return down as you know the annual tax return process is something that's really critical you know in Mm -hmm. the month of January in the UK um you know you need to get your self-assessment done your online tax return done um so that might be something that's really critical but then from a customer perspective they might not really care about you getting your tax done um you know because it doesn't really impact them it might impact them if your entire business closes um but you know that as a standalone activity they don't really mind about um it also depends what kind of lens you've applied to your bia so actually if you're looking at a bia from a process lens you know we're talking about important business services and services and processes necessarily have to be the same thing so actually you know if we're talking about an important business service could be if you were a retail bank, it could be um, getting cash out of a cash point, and that could be a you know a important business service for you. But there's a lot of processes that kind of go behind 
that activity to allow a customer to, you know, walk up to the hole in the wall and get some money out. So actually it, it's that kind of different lens maybe. But again, BIAs could have been done that are sufficient. And if they are great, leverage them, um, you know, and leverage the information that you have. I don't think necessarily because it's called something different that, you know, people should kind of discount everything that's been done already. Um, I think that where there is alignment and where things are sufficient, absolutely use them. Um, just make sure that you're kind of looking at a regulatory, um, you know, lens or just a broader resilience lens rather than a kind of business continuity lens to make sure that, you know, that is sufficient for you. That, that's really good advice. And one of the things that I think um, we also need to consider is the impact on the business leaders as well, who might give some pushback to say, listen, we've already provided all of this information in the BIA. Why do we have to run through this again? And it just kind of helps with the overall branding and reputation of your of your program. The other thing that I find really interesting, um, and and I don't know how most people do this. I know how I do it, but it's it's really interesting to me that we all go through the BIA data, and we see you know these uh, maybe exaggerated uh, levels of criticality from some business functions or processes where we look at it and we're like, really? I mean, come on. Uh, I was going through some BIA data just this morning uh, and I noticed that the mailroom at this one particular client thinks very highly of themselves and says, you know, that they could afford to be offline for uh, an hour or two hours, depending on the function. And there's a pretty good chance that that mailroom is not going to cause intolerable harm to the customer. So that's a lens we have to look through. When we define what do we mean by critical, what do we mean by intolerable harm? How do we define what's intolerable? So again, that's something that, um, you know, an organization would need to kind of define for themselves. Um, I would say that intolerable harm doesn't also need to be purely financially driven. So you could right. look at, intolerable harm to actually be um you know the anguish that's been caused to a particular customer because they haven't been able to do something or um you know treatment of vulnerable customers to a degree you know that they they are more um you know they've experienced more intolerable harm because of a disruption than maybe something somebody that isn't classed as a vulnerable customer so I think, again, it's up to the organization to, to really kind of drill down and decide that for themselves. But do look at, you know, wider impacts than just money. Um, you know, you could have, like I say, emotional distress caused to, to customers that you could class as intolerable. Um, things like data breaches could right. obviously be classed as intolerable. So look more broadly um, than just that financial kind of lens. Um, and yeah, I would say on your mailroom kind of example, mm. um, one of the things to look at as well is kind of the upstream activity and downstream activity. So, um, you know, we need to have a really good understanding of a full front to back process or front to back service to right. say, is this all resilient? And, you know, will we ever breach our impact tolerance and cause intolerable harm at any point during this front to back process? Um, that end-to-end so -end view, right? It's that end-to-end -end yeah. view. And you're right. Yeah. So in that case, the mailroom could be a critical dependency of a shipping process that is yeah. highly critical. And you're absolutely yeah. right. And I'm glad you called that out on me. Because what that does is, 
it reminds us to go look at that data, not just in an isolated line-by-line, record-by-record point of view, but to look at it in the context, as you said, of that front-to-back process. Absolutely. That's brilliant. Looking, it's a big job. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. You know, understanding the full front-to-back, having a process taxonomy if you don't have one already, and all these things that feed into that. That's a big job. but also it's it's really important whether you're talking about business continuity or operational resilience or enterprise resilience, whatever you want to call it. If, you know, you've got something that's really critical that you'll go, actually, yeah, that's, you know, um, I'm going to use a really terrible example here that you deliver wine to people and you go, actually, yeah, you know, my delivery service is really resilient, but actually you forget to, you know, ensure that the vineyards and the, you know, bottling and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, that all that's resilient too. It doesn't matter whether your delivery process is resilient because you've actually forgotten all this back, you know, the the background kind of processes that are really important as well. So it yeah. is critical. You can't have um, an end, you know, customer facing service that's resilient without everything else behind it being resilient as well. And um, so it is an important lens to apply. And that's that end to end view. And anytime you need help with that wine client, that wine delivery client, you let me know. <laughs> Um, I, I offer very favorable rates in that industry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's a Friday afternoon here, so you can tell where my mind's at. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, we had said at the end of the last episode, and we're right out of time here again already, uh, but we had said at the last episode that we would both try to give some advice to people who have only had business continuity experience and either who would like to get into operational resilience or are now faced with the challenge of, okay, you now have to go look at operational resilience. What advice would you give? So for me, I think um, understanding the regulation for the jurisdiction you're in, if there is regulation is obviously really key um, and being able to use the terminology um, seamlessly within conversations and transparently, I think is, um, you know, the, the first step. But I would also say um, understand the business case and why it's important for your organization um, and understand what you need to do to get the organization there. So if you can pitch them, you know, whoever it might be, if you want to develop into operational resilience or resiliency, you know, more broadly than business continuity or crisis management um, understand, like I say, what does resilience mean to the organization? And what are the steps that need to be taken to get there? How much cost is there going to be? How much resources are going to require? Um, you know, and be able to sell it. Nail your elevator pitch, I think, is something that's really important to yeah. me. I, I agree with that. And, and my advice would be to not be intimidated by it, to know that the principles are very much the same. That yeah. yes, it's probably an elevation of your game. We're going from I, I was disrupted and I could recover quickly to I now be, I, I now must withstand whatever that is and work through it and be able to deliver through it. And that is maybe more than nuance, but it's, it's nuance different. Uh, and, and you need to have more detail and a more detailed approach and, and that end to end view, but don't be intimidated by it. And also don't be afraid of the data, use that data, leverage that data, understand dependencies suppliers, systems, internal resources, other departments, things like that, and uh, and make sure that the individual components are resilient. I think that's probably a big part of it. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And don't settle for somebody saying that would never happen. Love it. Thank you so much, Sarah. <laughs> You're wonderful. Thanks for coming back for part two. And I wish you all the best. Thank you. I want to thank Sarah Garrington for being my guest for the last two weeks and uh, having a conversation about operational resilience. It's an interesting topic, and we could fill up several more episodes, I'm sure, with conversations related to operational resilience. There might have been something in either of these episodes that you didn't agree with, and that's okay. We want to hear your comments. Feel free to post them either on LinkedIn or on the Podbean app. We have another great guest lined up next week, so join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.